The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. So we are in the book of Mark this week. I want to give you some, um, some big overarching um, background to the book of Mark. Uh, Mark was a, I guess you could call him kind of a disciple, of, uh, a guy who apprenticed under Peter. Um, in First Peter, he calls Mark his son. And we know from ancient writings that, uh, that Mark eventually went and was a translator for, for Peter when he was in Rome. Um, some of the ancient writings refer to, to Mark as being the one who wrote Peter's biography, and some people wonder if that is the book of Mark. Um, and, and so in Mark, written in Rome, probably, written definitely to a Roman audience, you get a different sort of gospel than the, than the other gospel writings. The way I was kind of thinking about, the way to think about the gospel writings is, um, this early, earlier this year, I was... Um, in Malaysia for a layover, just a layover in Malaysia. And I went to see the movie Black Panther. And it was interesting because in that movie, the Black Panther in Malaysia, um, they would bleep out cuss words. And this one point in the film, and this is why I'm not recommending it. No, it's a great film. Uh, The little sister flips off her older brother and it's blurry, right? And so you guys might be wondering why I'm sharing this. Why I'm sharing this same content different audience, okay? And so the way, this is the way, a great way to think about the Gospels, right? Different audiences, same content, right? And so what we get in Mark is we get less genealogies, we get less references to the Old Testament because the Romans didn't care about that. Right? As Matthew is written to a Jewish audience, you get a lot more references to the Old Testament. And, and you get these, these like elaborate genealogies that a Roman, if they were reading that, it just wouldn't make sense to them. Okay, so... So when you get into Mark, it's, it's intense, the pace is intense, it's insanely practical and, and very pragmatic. And, and why this makes it helpful for us, and it's like short stories, direct and to the point, is that the Romans and Americans think a lot alike, right? It's like, all of a sudden, the, the pace you get into if you're in Mark is, in the first chapter... Just the first chapter. Think of the first chapter of Matthew. What you get in the first chapter of Matthew is basically like a ton of names and then Jesus is born. Okay? And then you get into Mark and this is what happens. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And then it takes off. Jesus gets baptized. He goes into the wilderness. He announces the good news. He calls disciples. He casts out some demons. Right? He heals many people. Casts out more demons. Right? goes to a solitary place. While he's in that solitary place, he gets found, and what they say to him is this, everyone is looking for you, right? That's the intensity of the pace that you're, you're, you're meant to grasp here is like Jesus turned off his cell phone and they knock on his door and they say, everyone's looking for you, right? It's just this pace of the book that you realize that Jesus is insanely busy. You go from that, he heals leprosy. Chapter two, heals a paralyzed man. And then... Right there at the second half of chapter two, you get introduced to Jesus' arch nemesis, 
the Pharisees, right? And he sort of sets it up here as we get into the rest of the book and you see how Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees kind of um, set the stage for what we'll find in his crucifixion. But I want to introduce you to the Pharisees this way. The, the Pharisees, um, like, like a Roman reader, maybe not understanding, maybe we don't immediately understand who the Pharisees were. Well, the Jewish people were a lot like the Americans. They had sort of a bipartisan system, right? We're very familiar with the bipartisan system in America, right? So they had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, two groups, two very powerful groups. And the Pharisees were a group that were derived from this word that just meant to separate. And what they did is they they separated from everyone else by making insanely strict, uh, abided by, abided, what am I looking for? They, they, I'm looking, I'm trying to say abided by, but there's no way to like connect that back to what I'm saying. They tried to fulfill the law in a very, very strict way. And so everything from like weighing out their spices and so they could make sure to, to tithe 10% of their spices, but they got so, so focused on being correct that they no longer cared about being righteous, right? Everything was about what we do and it no longer really was about God. And so, so oftentimes Jesus says like, you you know, you still, it looks like you're worshiping me, but your heart is really, really far from me, okay? And so they, they completely separated what God was actually asking for from what they were doing. And that can happen in, in any religion. That can happen to many of us even now is we hear what God is saying and we get so focused on what I can do and being correct that we no longer focus on what God is the heart of the law or the heart of what God is actually asking for. And so, so they had great influence among the time. And when we get introduced to them here in Mark 2, verse 16, it simply says this, when the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating, saw Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so, the first time we see the Pharisees, we simply watch them just creeping on Jesus. They're just watching from afar, right? <laughs> They're not interacting with him. They're just kind of watching. The second time we see them is they're comparing. Verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and they saw that Jesus wasn't fasting. And so they draw this comparison. Well, we're doing this. We're doing these correct things that you're supposed to do. And Jesus, you're not doing that. And so they're living by comparison. And then in verse 24, it says, Then the Pharisees say to him, Look, why are you doing this unlawful thing on the Sabbath? And so they go from just watching, then they go to comparison, uh, comparing themselves with him, and then they go to, to judging him. And that sets the stage for our sermon today, which is what to do when people are against you. What do you do when people are against you? Now, now originally, uh, I, I preached a message on this same text a year ago uh, to a bunch of high school students, and I called it um, Angry Like Jesus. Because you see Jesus get angry here. But as I read it, and maybe it's just like the context of this last year, um, is this, this theme of like, what do you do when people are against you? And 
And I want you just to see the presence of the Pharisees in the life of Jesus. And we're just chapter three here. And already what they're communicating in their body language, because they're not saying much, what their presence means to the ministry of Jesus. And so Mark three, this is what it says. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisee, the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So, what do we do when people are against us? First, I just want you to observe, again in their presence, in verse two, it says this. It says, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Now, when I ask this next question, there's a lot of emotion attached to it for me. Uh, There's many stories that pop in my head, and it's hard to ask this question without without hurt resurfacing. And this is the simple question. Have you ever had someone in your life you feel is against you? Have you ever felt like someone in your life is against you? And it could be someone, it could be Um, a whole group of people you feel like is against you, when they're watching you closely, they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and they watched him closely. When they watch you closely, it's not for your safety or protection, but they're watching you so they can accuse you. And you knowing yourself, you you have worked so hard to maybe establish a reputation that's trustworthy and giving yourself, giving your whole self to the work you're doing or the, the people that you're caring for. And you realize that, that someone or some people are just waiting to pounce on anything that it looks like is compromised so they can attack you. That affects you emotionally. It affects you psychologically it affects you physically. There are times this last year I can think of being just tired. And, and the tiredness wasn't coming because I was exercising a lot. The tiredness just came because, uh, you know, you, you realize that, that any time you stop and think, that is the first thought in your head. And, and I want you to think about this in, in terms of the different circles this can be in. It could be a coworker that that you head to work and and. Though you have 20 coworkers, that one, you, you realize that you're always aware of where they are in the office or, or where they are around you. It could be your own spouse at home. You go home and, and you're just kind of aware that there's this thing there, this thing that's not being addressed. But it, you realize if you just don't do the smallest thing, they're going to pounce, right? It could even be someone at the church, you could come to the Refuge Church, and, and again, you could, it could be, you know, you have 
80 people that just love you, but all you're aware of is one person who, who maybe just has an axe to grind with you, or, or they, just, all, they just can't see that you're, man, you're trying to live by grace, right? And you too fail. And, right? All these dynamics, all of a sudden in our lives start draining Jesus. And, and I want you to see that this deeply affects Jesus, right? You see it later. It says he looked around angry and deeply distressed at the stubbornness of our, Jesus isn't this, this man who just is, doesn't care, right? This is deeply, the accusations are deeply affecting Jesus. But what Jesus does here is profound, and it's so helpful to us. And what Jesus does is he, he goes to this man. They're looking to accuse him. We, we learned just verses before that they were looking to accuse him for what he was doing on the Sabbath. We're at a Sabbath. The moment is right. And what he does is he invites the man to stand up in front of everyone. So he's taking this thing that is kind of buried and hidden, what's in their accusations that are in their hearts, and he's saying, I'm going to bring this out of hiding into the light. I think oftentimes in our life, we feel like with these things that are so distressing us, creating so much anxiety that if we just keep them hidden for long enough, they're just going to go away. Well, only bad, nasty things come from things hiding in darkness and basements. I shared in the first gathering, we get the, the nastiest, biggest spiders in our basement. And when I was writing this sermon, all I could think of was these large spiders. We put those little traps out that they, if they walk across, they get stuck. And literally, like, sometimes their two, like, their two back feet get stuck and they just drag it. That's how, that's how large these wickednesses, evils are. <laughs> but that's what happens. We, we, we're like, you know. What happens if you don't take care of it? It just gets bigger. <laughs> Spiders, right? But, but that thing in your life, the, the thing between you and your spouse or you and your coworker or you and this, the person in this church, whatever it is, all it does when it's in hiding is it will just magnify it. And it will make you more stressed and it will just add more psychological damage to your life, right? That's what happens when things are in hiding. So Jesus confronts it head on. He, he just exposed it. He's like, look, I'm going to put on display what I'm about to do. And so you don't have to just do this in the judginess of your own heart, right? He's like, I'm just going to show you what is happening here. And so, so Jesus brings it out. Instead of hiding something, he says, you know what? Instead of hiding where those doubts and those hurts can just fester, he brings it out. And so our confidence in the power of God and his work cannot be put in doubt. Because what we do is we, we begin to hide also what's true if we hide confronting what is wrong. And so the, the second part here, what Jesus does is beautiful and it's profound. He brings the person up in front of everyone to see and he exposes what we're going to just call the root of truth, right? So he puts the, he puts the person just this hurting person, this person who needs healing. He puts them up in front of everyone and he says, this is the root of truth. The root of truth is that God sent Jesus to restore and heal people and nations. That's why Jesus came. And so, so what they want to do is they want to make it so he no longer is living into that word from God, but, 
by the accusation and judgment, what they want him to do, and this happens in our lives all the time, all of a sudden, we kind of back down, right? Like, you're, you're a, I hear this all the time, I, I was, I'm such a, I am a joyful person, I'm a loving person, but when this is going on in my life, I just feel shut down, right? And that's exactly what they want to have happen to Jesus. They just want him to shut up. And what are they shutting up when they shut up Jesus? What they're shutting up is they're shutting up healing and restoration and life and wholeness. They're trying to shut that down. What Jesus says is he, he brings this person up in front of everyone and he says, I will show you what I am here for. And we see this in, I just want to read to you uh, Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 4. Uh, and we see here what Jesus is called to do, and then later in Luke, Jesus actually reads this same passage, and he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, and this is what Jesus came to do. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim a year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so, so instead of, of the Pharisees encouraging this and wanting this to happen, this display of the splendor and power of God through the restore, restoration of people that People with broken hearts could be healed, right? And when there were people in sorrow, that they would be filled with joy. They're trying to silence that. And I, and I think about this as, as Jesus brings the person up front and then he says, he says this about the Sabbath. Which is lawful on the Sabbath to do? To do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? It seems like this should be easy, right? Like, the Son of God is standing in front of them saying, do you want me to give life? Do you want me to heal people? Right? And, and what do you think the answer should be? Come on! Like, heal us! Save us! Like, this is what we've longed for. Like, we're a people who have just been oppressed and hurt. We've been in darkness and we want you to bring us light. Like, bring us that, Jesus. He's like, do you want me to heal this person? And what happens? They just are silent. This is, this is mind-boggling how much their hardness of heart keeps them from celebrating the work of God. Guys, and this is so scary because I, I, what's so scary about it is when I think of how deep we get into just trying to do stuff and, and just do like correct stuff and, and <laughs> we can all of a sudden see this offer of God. I mean, I, I, I would share with the first gathering, like we can hear something like, Helena is gonna wants to come and be baptized from basketry here, and we're like, that's cool, you know. And we can we can hear these stories of of people wanting to become followers of Jesus, or even stories of healing, and and all of a sudden, even that can get like old news, and and we want to keep hearts that are joyful, 
But all of a sudden we find ourselves over here where we're just like not moved, not affected anymore. So when we see Jesus go, do you want to be healed? We're like, hmm. Like, a, you know, are you going to get us out on time for the football game? And so we, we, have this, we, we have these things in our life that we're like, like on one side we get e- like excited really easy about something that is like very much self-interested, but these, these things that, that God literally has shown his, like, his infinite investment in by sending his son to restore the brokenhearted. Recovery of sight to the blind. To pro- proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, and they... And sometimes we go like this. You know, we just, we just watch. And, and something's keeping us from like going, yes, heal us. And what's scary is just how easy that is for us to, to join that crowd who accuses Jesus, right? Or, or when Jesus offers his healing and offers again his salvation, we just kind of watch and go, okay. We remain silent in that. The, the response of Jesus is, um, is so telling here. In verse 5, it says, He looks around at them in anger and deeply distressed the stubbornness of their hearts. And, like, we, we know the love of God for us. What I want to ask you is maybe even a harder question because a lot of times we're like, do you know how much God loves you? One of my questions though today is like, is there something in you that God's angry about? It's kind of a hard question, right? But something that, that you, are, you have a stubbornness in your heart that when Jesus looks at it, he's like, man. And, and why, why he's angry is because that stubbornness is keeping you from experiencing his joy and his freedom. That there's places in you or places around you that he wants to heal, but you're just stubborn. That's really hard because we, we want to hear like, even in my stubbornness, Jesus loves me. And, and that's really good because he, he presses on and he does heal this man. But the reality is that Jesus is angry in this moment and deeply distressed that they are totally missing out. And, and there's places in our lives that we totally, totally miss out on Jesus. And, and when Jesus looks at that in our life, he's, he's not like, oh, bless your child. No, he's, he, he's upset. And, and what helped me grasp this was I, I spent a lot of time going, man, how do we wrestle with this? What is Jesus angry at in this? And I really think what he's angry at here is, just kind of rewind all the way back to the beginning of the story in Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God create the world and he gives this incredible gift to humanity to be stewards. And, and stewardship is this role where you don't own it, but you care for it, right? So Jesus didn't say, hey, people, I'm just gonna like give you ownership of the planet no he says like i'm gonna let you care for the planet so if you care for the planet it's gonna thrive i'm not gonna give you ownership of the people in your life but you get to care for the people in your life so if they're if they're with you they thrive right well what we did with that instead of stewarding that and caring for that we we essentially just invested in our self-interest and said screw you 
to everything else, right? We just like, whether it's planet or people or whatever, we just go like, hey, I'm kind of out for me. And, and Jesus is angry at that. I, I want you to think of, of this in terms of, imagine you let somebody stay in your home while you were gone on vacation. It took just a week vacation. It was just this quick, you've been tired. You're going to you know, go down to Disneyland and just party with Mickey for a week, right? So, so you leave and you come back in a week's time and, and you look at your house and it doesn't even look like your house anymore. It's just beat up. Right, all your shrubs dead, right? Your cat dead, right? It's just, <laughs> so, yeah, see that, that just struck deep, right? You're like, not the cat, <laughs> kill them, <laughs> right? You, like, imagine, imagine that dynamic where you come back and, and it just, it, and, and, and you, you look at this person and you're like, what is the point of caring for my house? To do good or to do evil, right? And and literally, you you just like asking, and they're like, they're just silent. What would you feel like? You would be so upset, right? Words could not articulate your feeling at that moment. And so I want you to imagine all the lead up to this. For Jesus and Jesus is here and Jesus is offering healing and hope and salvation and he goes do you want to be saved and they just they're just simply there to accuse him they've already made up their mind to accuse him that is profound Jesus's anger in this moment is profound and I want you to understand the frustration in the heart of God at that moment and and we can feel that frustration too Right? As we, as we have maybe a situation that we bring to light, bring out in the light for somebody to see. And then we speak truth into that situation. Like this is, this is the truth and it is just not received and how hard that is. And so where do we go from there? Well, the, 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 the last thing Jesus does is he just stays the course. He stays true to what God has called him to do to be a healer of the brokenhearted, to restore those who are sick. And so he simply says to the person, stretch out your hand. And I think this is what Jesus is calling us to do. What happens in your life when, <laughs> when you have made yourself available to somebody and they still don't get it, right? You've, you've wanted to bring something to the light and talk about it. And they don't receive it. Well, Jesus prepares us for this scenario. Jesus says that you're never going to get 100% approval ratings from anyone. And he says this in his first sermon he ever teaches. He says, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of false things about you. Persecute you because of righteousness. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. He goes, expect that. Expect that life where people won't understand you, but stay true. And this is where this big idea of, of don't let the doubts of others steal your experience of experiencing the presence of God, right? Don't, don't let them take that from you, right? Because oftentimes what we do is we kind of go into hiding also. We go into hiding with this thing that just isn't 
being mentioned or isn't being talked about. Instead, speak truth into that, stay the course, and specifically remember the word of God and the presence of God. Remember what God has said, which is true, and hold on to that. And you see throughout Mark, Jesus doing that. He, he goes away out over and over again to these places where he would just spend time with the Father and remember the words of the Father and be refreshed in the Father's presence. Remember when the Father said, this is my son whom I love and I'm just pleased with him. And when the words of the world were accusing him, he held onto those words, you are loved, you are mine. Remember what I've sent you here for. Guys, sometimes in our lives, right, we... I mean, I think of times when I've been in this, these still moments, but all I can hear is words of accusation, right? Words that, that someone who, um, well-meaning or not well-meaning, spoke, right? And, and kind of, I feel like are forcing me into hiding. And that's not even always the attention of their words, but sometimes it's just the way that I receive them and I go into hiding. And rather than bringing these back in the, in, out into the light and speaking truth to that situation and staying the course, Staying true to what God has said and what he's called us to, we go into hiding. So don't let the doubts of others steal your confidence in the power of God. Just some simple ways that I want to encourage us to live this out in our lives is, the first is, is there something in your life that needs to be brought out of the shadows? And if there's an example of man, at work or at home or here or anywhere that, that you just feel like you're hiding from somebody or something? Is there something that you need to bring into the light and deal with in truth? And the second question is, what is the truth? What is the root of truth in that issue? What is it, not just your opinion versus the other person's opinion, what does the word of God say in that situation? What is he saying? And, and give the mic to that voice. Give the mic to God in your life. And the third and final thing is don't let the doubts of others steal your confidence in the power of God. Right? If you feel like you're getting dragged into a place where emotionally, mentally, physically, you are getting drained Right, I just, man, I want to encourage you, just bring that out into light. Let the truth of God speak into that and listen to the word of God. Because if something's stealing from you the enjoyment of the presence of God, it's not from him. And that's what we see in the life of Jesus because what we find at the very end of this um, in, in the very last verse is um, the people that accused Jesus, what they thought at the beginning of this and what they thought at the end of this was the very same thing. (laughs) Jesus showed the power of God and they didn't care. But what we see in the ministry of Jesus is him following the direction of the Father, following the words of the Father, following his leadership. And guys, with that faithfulness, there is the reward of his presence and really the treasure of the knowledge that you are safe with him. Because I, I, I guess I didn't share this with the first gathering, but I'll just share personally where I go. I know that for the most part, you guys like me. 
Um, <laughs> do you? I'm just joking. So, um, <laughs> no, but... <laughs> uh, but there, there yeah. <laughs> but honestly, there are those moments, and and because and I'll just share. I want to share this because I know you feel this too. There's those moments where you feel accused, where all of a sudden, like I don't hear any of you guys. I just hear that one voice that's like, "You're not enough," right? Or like you're the only one that doesn't get grace and everyone else does. Or just those, right? That's what we do. And, and I, I with you hand the mic to the, and so I just want to invite you into this place of encouragement of one another. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean go like, hey, hide your stuff, right? No, no, what it is, is it's going, hey, let's bring that into the light. Let's, let's speak truth into that. Remind us who, who, what God says we are, who God says we are and walk forward in his presence together. Because we can be the greatest encouragement for one another in that. And when others are speaking an accusation over us, we're speaking words of life into us. And that isn't just one time, right? That's not you just going like, hey, bro, you're awesome, right? And then just like not following up. That's like then following up and going, how are you doing with that? How are you doing? Can I, can I pray with you? You want to come over and eat nachos on my couch with me? Like, like being with one another as we we refresh each other with the words of God that he's spoken that are true, that are true yesterday, today, and forever that we can give to one another and support each other. So pray with me and we'll worship. Father, you have been so generous in in the way that your word has been preserved for us. I really believe what we have today in Old and New Testament, we get your thoughts, your heart. And even in addition to that, you promise us your spirit as a counselor to speak into situations and speak into our very lives, even at this moment. I pray that we will learn even again today to tune our hearts to your voice. I pray that maybe this sermon could just be uh, like a release valve for some people here listening that, that they think, man, I don't have to hold on to those accusations. Um, or maybe by, by your grace, they can, they can see some stubbornnesses in, in their life that, that have kept them from joy in relationship with you. Ways that you want to heal and restore. And when you say, do you want healing here? We just remain silent. God, I pray you'll give us a voice to cry out, yes, heal me, restore me. God, thank you for not ditching when we were stubborn, for not taking off when we were rebellious, but pursuing us in that place by dying in our place by giving us forgiveness and life everlasting. God, we praise you for that. We praise you. And pray all these things in the name of Jesus, amen.